Well, I'm pleased to inform you this morning that we have a guest preacher, Pastor Rich Parfrey from Woodridge Community Church. And if you're not familiar with Woodridge Community Church, it is a whole council of God preaching gospel-loving church in New Berlin, Wisconsin. And it happens to also be the church that planted Waukesha City. And we continue to enjoy rich fellowship with Woodridge and with Rich. So, Rich, would you come and bring us the word? Thank you. Well, good morning, good morning. What a joy it is to be here with you, brothers and sisters. I, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you walk into a church that you know well but don't attend regularly or aren't a member of, um, you, you hear different things. You know, and this morning, to hear the joy of people talking all amongst you about theology. As I was walking through, I heard so many discussions and people were very welcoming, encouraging, extending hand, hey, pastors, hey. But then everybody, it was so amazing to hear these little circles of people talking about the glory of God and doctrine and the gospel and encouraging each other in it this morning, not just the, from the pulpit and not just from the platform up here, but with each and every one of you. And so what a joy it is. And also for the worship, to hear such full, uh, for the worship team to be leading us in such a way, I think they, they need to go on the road or something to maybe make an album or something. I'm sure they sound beautiful just giving glory to God. And so... It's a joy to be here with you all this morning. Um, it's a joy, first and foremost, as Pastor Marshall said, about um, praying for you. You know, we're, we're thankful how the Lord continues to grow in the congregation here at Waukesha City Church, and uh, very, very thankful. And um, our prayers are with you as, as a church at Woodridge. And also, I'm personally thankful, too, uh, because uh, our children, Brooke and David Gonzalez, our members here, and now our two grandbabies, and you guys are discipling them well, and they're taking in discipleship. You're encouraging them and using their gifts, and we're very, very thankful of that. And this, this sisterhood that we have in churches is really, really special. And so I want to take just a moment, too, to encourage you on what Woodridge is doing as a means of a shout-out, if you will, about 15 minutes uh, east of you here. Uh, we continue, as you do, to continue to grow in our joy in Christ, found in Him and Him alone. And we um, are so thankful. We've, we continue to grow in, our, in being reformed. Uh, we've been teaching through the confession. Not only we had 16 weeks of adult Sunday school on the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession. And now we have a men's uh, study that we do on Tuesday on the second and fourth Wednesday of every month where we're working through the confession, but then also having a lot of discussion around being accountable to the truths that are within it and obedient to the truths that are pointing us back to God's word. And so we're growing and being uh, stronger in our Reformed tradition. Uh, also, the fruit of our families in discipling each other. Um, there so, it's amazing to me how the whole church has moved. We did a whole series in teaching on discipling um, your children, what that looks like. And um, we have had almost our entire congregation now move to uh, either homeschooling, and we have a co-op, and or with Doxa Christian Academy, which is housed at Woodridge, uh, which is a classical Christian uh, school. Um, and so we're very thankful for that. Our family's taking responsibility for intentionally discipling their children, grandparents helping them with that. Uh, blessing to do that. Our Sunday school, uh, both for adults and children, continues to grow strong. We have four Sunday schools. Uh, classes on any given Sunday, and we're thankful the pastors and teachers are teaching through that, and the children also are getting discipled at that time, too, and, and shared the gospel with. 
Our building has been paid off, so praise God, after 16 years, $1.8 million were paid off, and so we're so thankful uh, to the Lord and the faithful saints that have um, done that over the years. And so we can now really point our attention towards revitalization and church planning, potentially expanding our sanctuary because our numbers continue to grow. Um, in our recent membership class, we've had over 20 people in our recent membership class, and so which we have three times a year. So just like you, the Lord is blessing us. He's giving us um, so much wonderful opportunities for ministry. Our biblical counseling continues to grow. I'm actually leaving right from here to go to a week-long conference in um, West Lafayette uh, at Faith um, Lafayette there, and joining several of us are attending there as well from Woodridge. And so we, have, we are very blessed, as you are, as churches. And so together, the strength of the Holy Spirit leading us to continue to rejoice in our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, we're doing as churches together, and he's blessing us. And part of that blessing is the sufferings that we take on. Like you, because I keep in contact with the pastors here and Brooke and David, I know that you have several situations that are going on within your membership of people suffering through trials, suffering through illnesses, um, suffering through conflict, uh, different um, aspects of sin in the world and sin in our own hearts. And that um, today's sermon, as I um, was led by the passage that we're, that we're going to teach on here this morning, that we're going to preach on, um, it fits right in with your series. Because as I was listening to Pastor Chuck's um, sermon last week, he went through um, Genesis, right? And you guys are going through Genesis, which is so, so beautiful. And you're talking about these Christian worldviews and things like that. And he ended up with Genesis 3 and sin. And so that's going to lead us perfectly into finding joy through our suffering. So with that, for those who are able, please stand this morning, if you would, as I read through God's holy word. We're going to be in Romans 5, 1 through 5. So if you open up your Bibles, Romans 5, 1 through 5 this morning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is God's inerrant, infallible, sufficient word. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. Please be seated. Let me lead us in prayer this morning. Lord God, you are our God, so deserving of our worship and our praise and our discussions about you. You are our everything, our Lord, Savior, friend, and we thank you for sending your son, sending him to be our hope in every and through every storm. We thank you for pouring the Holy Spirit into our hearts, equipping and empowering us to do every good work in your name, and for your glory. Help us, Lord, as we are a weak people. and We don't often see our suffering rightly. We don't understand how you decreed it before the beginning of time for our good in order to continue to help us persevere in you. We need you, Lord. And so provide for us a strengthening of our faith. Help us to trust in what your word states here that we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that they will produce endurance that leads to character, leading to hope in you and trusting that your promises are true. 
Lord God, as I preach the word this morning, help me continue um, as you've already done through the devotion that you blessed me with, Lord God, continue to preach the fullness of your gospel and the truth that lies therein. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. As I alluded to in preparing the sermon uh, over the last uh, week or so, uh, the timing couldn't have been more perfect for where uh, Pastor Chuck left off. In Genesis 1, he was talking about a good God makes a good world. And he talked about how creation was made by God and called good. He talked about the three isms with asceticism, materialism, materialism, Gnosticism. And in getting creation wrong, in getting the understanding of God's creation wrong, it leads to many uh, significant negative effects in our thinking and the way in which we look to the Lord. What God made is good. God is the standard of what is good and not good. Our feelings are not the standard. Our experiences are not our standard. Our opinions are not the standard for good. God is the ultimate good and the standard for goodness. And in Genesis 3, as Chuck led us to last week, he talked about why so much suffering is in the world. And we know that's because of sin, how sin was brought into the world through Adam, and now we need a new Adam, a new Adam to save us, giving us new hearts to restore our desires. And he said it twice, that created order is that it is good, but has been made subject to decay because of man's rebellion of God, because of man's sin. God has made and is remaking his world. And so this brings us to this morning where we continue in our understanding of the world around us, how initially God created what was good. He called it good, so it was. And then sin came into the world. Sin separated us from our holy God as his creation. And here in our text today, we see that Paul writing this letter to an audience that were both Jewish and uh, Roman Christians, writing to a church dealing with specific issues in the church. One of those issues was suffering. And so the first question I asked myself, what are we to do with this suffering? As you already mentioned, Pastor Truck so eloquently preached last week and when he spoke to and pertaining to Genesis 3 in the fall, and we see it here in Romans 5 explained as well. In Romans 5.12, just after the text that we're studying right now, it reads in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So what does this tell us? Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and that sin led to death. It led to a needed separation between man and God. Sin, which we know God has no part of, and he's not the author of, separated what was a beautiful relationship between man and God. Where man, as the Lord's created being, was walking and talking with God, just as you and I can relate to one another right now in the way we communicate with one another, enjoying his beauty, enjoying his ways, and then Adam chose to turn from what he knew was right and true and turn away from God's perfect design for him, God's loving boundaries for him. And he sinned. Adam went his own way, a way that was contrary to God's plan for him. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and preach on the doctrine of sin, as I think this will definitely be something that your pastors uh, will uh, progress on as a season of preaching and studying through Genesis. However, this sin... This egregious act, as well as all of the egregious acts, all of the sins that we have committed yesterday, 
today and yes, every sin that we will commit in our lifetime, all of those sins were atoned for on the cross of Christ. All of them completely paid for through the perfect obedience of our Savior. Through his holy work, our sacrifice in living a perfect law-abiding life and suffering the agony of the cross, shedding blood for forgiveness of sins and rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, defeating the curse of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reads, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes on our sin and gives us his righteousness. How glorious of a God he is. And for those who believe, we are redeemed, we are saved, we are given the undeserved gift of eternal life. We are justified because of his perfect work. His work, his holy work, the only work that saves, work done to fulfill what God's wrath demanded, a sacrifice is counted towards those who believe it is credited to our account, our debt paid in full. Romans 4, 24 through 25, just before the passage, just before uh, what we're reading today, it reads, Romans 4, 24 through 25, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This completely unmerited gift of our salvation in our forgiveness and justification come from and only from the death and resurrection of Christ. It was all his work and none of our own that saved us. So with that, let's focus on our main text this morning, a text that will help us understand how God uses suffering to grow us, how he uses suffering and the trials that we take on to shape those of us who have been saved by the suffering of another, namely Jesus. We read in Romans 5, 1 through 2, we'll take the first two verses. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You ever question or ask yourself, how saved are you? I would hope that every believer hearing my voice here this morning would scream from their seats and stand up and say, holy and truly saved. I am fully saved. The Lord's work on the cross provided full atonement of our sins. But I ask myself at the same time, are we also being saved? Yes, we have been justified. I hear sins have been forgiven due to the work of God the Father in sending his son to do the work of forgiveness of our sins. And we're also being saved in our sanctification and ultimately in our glorification when we're brought to the Lord himself. Well, what does this have, having been saved, bring the believer? The scripture tells us it brings us peace. The peace, this peace that comes from God in our lifetimes as we continue to grapple with the reality of what it means to be truly and fully reconciled to the one and holy living God of this universe and to grasp the reality of what it means to have been purchased by him to live lives of obedience to him. Understanding that in this transaction where he pays the penalty of sin that was ours to pay and that in the purchase he gives us our faith 
He gives us our standing of himself as our firm foundation, that he adopts us as sons and daughters. He calls us into his family, the family of the holy living God, and we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong wholly and solely to God. He fills us with his Holy Spirit as our great God, our great sanctifier, holding us, carrying us, guiding us, growing us, shaping us, molding us in his image, pointing and strengthening us in the truth of his word, enabling us to do good works in his name and for his glory. Such grace. It should bring us to his dispatches, states, a point where we deeply and consistently rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This status we now have, this legal standing, not a feeling of being saved or I hope that I'm saved someday, but when you have true faith given to you by God, you now have an objective legal standing through faith in Christ that you have been justified and declared righteousness, righteous by the one and only holy living God. No debt left to pay once and for all. Glory in that truth for a moment. That should give us strength. That should give us purpose. That we should find our joy in that and that alone of who Christ is. We no longer have to do some type of penance for our sins. We no longer have to live in fear of judgment when we come to the pearly gates as if there's some type of balance that we're trying to outweigh the good with the bad. We no longer have to live fearing the wrath of God, but now because Jesus is our savior and our king, we now have access by faith to God to rejoice in the hope that only he can provide. This grace on which we stand refers to the security we have in Christ, this position, this standing, the certainty that we have and will be given in the promise of being glorified and perfected at the last day a hope that we all share as Christians. Now, if we believe this to be true, that we stand on this firm foundation of what Christ has done for we who believe, why do we struggle? Why do we doubt the love of God? Especially at times of suffering, either seeing others suffer or experiencing it ourselves. Why do we question all the objective work of God has done for those who believe? Perhaps at time even questioning your own salvation due to circumstances at hand. Questioning this legal standing we have because of Christ's work. Because we all sin. We are not yet glorified. We look to our own struggles and worries, our own self, selfishness and desire to glorify ourselves. We look to what makes us happy at times instead of what's right. And we would turn our focus on God and not our circumstances. When we push back on all our tendencies to say, if I only had this, or if I only didn't have that, if I wasn't suffering with this ailment, or if I only had health in that relationship, I would be happy. If I had this or that, I would be happy. We need to repent of that way of thinking. It's sinful. Seeking happiness above all things is a shallow grave for the believer. Joy in Christ is our goal. Joy that comes from trusting that Christ is our greatest desire, our greatest treasure, to serve him, to know of his great love, and to bestow that love to others as we wait to be risen up with him. 
as we all have and uh, you know opportunities to evangelize and so often I see especially when I'm evangelizing to people I do a lot of pickleball and that's a big ministry for me I try to mention every sermon I usually get a laugh at our congregation from that because I know I'm going to put it in there usually it's pickleball and grandchildren I've already put the grandchildren so I got a good pickleball in there but it's been the Lord has blessed me with uh, a ministry of two three hundred people that know I'm a Christian um, and approach me for prayer and and I talk to them about the truth of God's word uh, every time I play the Lord blesses me with different opportunities for that and I'm so thankful for that but what's so interesting about it is that, and you probably experience the same thing, is that uh, when the Lord is using us to profess Christ, to witness for the faith, we so often hear of people's feelings and their feelings seem to be the predominant theme of the day on why they think this or that. And then usually following their feelings, it's, well, that makes me happy. Why do you do this? Why are you cheating on your wife? Why are you making that decision? Why are you doing this or not doing this with sins of omission or commission? What do people say? Well, it makes me happy. I think it's right in my own mind. It's what's important to me. So in times of suffering, what do people most often get trapped in? We get trapped, trapped in our feelings instead of what is right and true. And the Lord gives us feelings. Those are good things to have, but we know because our hearts are deceitful, they lead us astray. I know this because I struggle with this myself. I can sympathize with people. Our feelings of being happy become what's most important to us when we take our eyes off of Christ. Glorifying God and what's most beneficial in doing that is what's most important. It's one thing I always discuss in every counseling session I do to explain the difference between clinical counseling and biblical counseling and why biblical counseling is best, especially for the believer, but for all people. If we look at the difference between clinical and biblical counseling, clinical counseling focuses on what we feel is right or wrong and the behaviors that will bring us or bring you true happiness. The goal in clinical counseling is happiness. Biblical counseling, on the other hand, focuses on what is right and true based on what the Bible states as truth, not one's feelings. The Bible is a standard of truth describing how we are to think, act, and live. And the goal of biblical counseling is more joy in Christ. Joy in Christ that comes from trusting and obeying God and sometimes includes shame and guilt and suffering. The Holy Spirit directs us to see the beauty of God through his word and gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Our focus turns to Christ for and as our all in all, our everything. Then guess what? The circumstances that we're put into and the perspective we have turn towards the love of God and love of others amidst our suffering, despite our suffering, despite the circumstances and the ailments and the death, we turn our eyes to Christ. We find more joy in him by keeping our focus fixed on him in every season. We trust and obey Jesus, trust and obey his word. Look to his word to substantiate what is right and wrong in our thinking, in our ways, we look to God to direct our path, not taking direction from our hearts, knowing that they are, again, deceitful as justified, even as justified Christians, to give our paths, but our minds directing our affections toward what we believe and how we walk. In this season, more than in seasons past, I've had many more opportunities to visit people in the hospital, to deal with people who are either dying, there's been several within our congregation, and to visit with people during times of hardship, times of illness. 
And you know what's interesting? I, I always respond if there's a hot, the best I'm able, unless it's another pastor because we have plurality like you guys, but we, I respond um, because I know it's a responsibility, but it's the joy that I so often find in those who are suffering and the encouragement that the gospel brings us when we talk of Jesus and we talk about his ways um, that really motivates me on wanting to continue to uh, do a ministry like that or have that an aspect of pastoral ministry that I focus on. And it's so encouraging to witness how people of God take on suffering when their eyes are rightly fixed on Jesus. I was visiting a couple recently who had been working through a difficult season and trial around suffering through illness. And to see how the couple continue to take their eyes off of the hardship and how they encourage each other in the gospel of hope. How they seem to be impervious to the arrows that, the, that are being thrown at them by the adversary and how they take on the suffering and consider it joy. Because of their faith is firm. They know Jesus have the, has them no matter what, that there is no circumstance that will separate them from the love of Christ their King. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here because in verses three and four, we're going to talk more about how Paul brings this into how we are to live as a people that have been justified to the holy living God himself. We start to get how we are to suffer and what suffering brings, even rejoicing in our sufferings. As we read in Romans 5, three through four, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Paul continues here to say, as if to say, if that's not enough, if the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ isn't enough, because he is so faithful, look at what he's gonna do through your sufferings as we continue to trust in him. If all that we have in Christ our salvation doesn't compel you to press on and fight, the good fight, guess what else God will do for you as a result of your suffering? Paul explains here to look at our sufferings and what suffering produces those uh, and how we're to persevere. We're to realize that suffering in the here and now because of being placed in a world that is filled with sin, sin that stems from the adversary, sin that has permeated the world and sin that we battle within also our, ourselves and the others in our own flesh, sin causes suffering. Sin causes trials, hardships. And God has us here within this world knowing that we will suffer because of sin and the impact it has on our lives. And we're not to rejoice in the sufferings. I remember I, I knew a couple one time and they said, well, Paul's talking about all this coming from suffering. Why don't we pray for more suffering? I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> He's the God of the universe. Don't pray for more hardship. We're not to do that. We don't rejoice in the sufferings that are caused because of sin, knowing trials and suffering are many times unpleasant and long-lasting. But because we have Jesus and the hope that comes from him, we don't rejoice in the suffering itself. But we rejoice because those sufferings produce a transformation in us that makes us more and more like Christ. Isn't it amazing to witness those around us who are growing in their joy in Christ even through the suffering? seeing them mature and due to that season they went through or are currently in, how that suffering produces in them an endurance that led to them having such strong character in Christ and how that character produces more and more hope in their savior. Hope that continues to permeate every ounce of our being. I recently met with a gal that um, used to work with, for me 
over the course of, I probably have known her maybe seven years over time. Uh, my wife and Julie and I have been ministering to them afar. They live up in, in the Northwoods. And uh, I remember watching this woman um, work and how she worked for me. She was very faithful. She was professing Christ, knew the gospel, lived a, a very godly life, realized her sin, would ask for and confess her sin to me as her boss. And then I, I got to know her husband a little bit. And her husband was, um, he was a professing believer, but he was one of those believers that, ah, I don't know, church is my thing. I, you know, my wife knows the word kind of thing. You're kind of like, okay, brother, are you, in, are you a brother? Are you in the faith? Didn't seem like the spirit was in him. And last year we had dinner with them. They asked us to come and, um, and I'd gotten to know this gentleman. I asked him on a trip one time with a bunch of other Christians and it's kind of in the background a lot. Asked him to dinner and he, uh, about a year ago, and at that dinner, my employee and her husband, they talked about um, how he came down with ALS. And it was ALS, it was progressing very, very quickly. And, and my friend, he's a, he's a very large man, he's about six, seven. I don't know why I always have a hard time. The larger the man, the harder it is to see them suffer sometime for me. Um, but he was a man that you could see his, even though his wife was saying, Christ is going to take care of us. He is going to, I'm gonna to continue to follow him through this hardship and no matter how hard it gets, her joy was being found in Christ, but her husband was starting to, he had doubt, he had doubt over the amount of suffering that he would go through. Should he continue in his life? What should he, what should he do? You could see this man was really, really struggling. I shared, Julie shared, his wife continues to share the gospel with him and to look to Christ for your strength because if you look to anything this world has to offer, it is going to be void. So this has happened over the course of year. We've been encouraging and sending them texts with scripture, praying for them. And then just this past week, um, as the Lord had it, we had dinner with them once again. As we, set, as we went to the bar and we we're getting ready to go over the restaurant, I had an opportunity for, I think it was like an hour and a half to talk to my friend, the, the husband and Julie talked to the wife. And there was something different about him. It wasn't just a twinkle in the eye or it wasn't just the way he looked. His joy in Christ, his, uh, his understanding of the firm foundation that he stood upon through his suffering became so real to him. And not once, not once through that first hour and a half that I saw him, did he talk about the wheelchair he was in, how he was only able to work his hands and his mouth and his whole body had started to decay because of the sin in his flesh and what was happening. His joy was being found in God and God alone in Christ. And he was professing the gospel to me, sharing the gospel to me, talking about the men in his life that were witnessing and encouraging him in the faith to continue to be strong in Christ. And we could rejoice in that together. None of us know, I don't, I don't know in talking to my friend, if I'm gonna be the first one to go in glory, it could have been on the way home, it could be on a drive today, right? And he's, he's suffering. You know, I always say to people when they're in a state like this, you may beat me to Christ. You stinker, you're beating me to Christ, you know? But none of us know, only the Lord knows the time and the days that we have. But this man now, the Holy Spirit is so amazingly in him. It seems like my understanding from having this interaction to him in his profession, in his life, and he no longer has fear of death. It's interesting to walk with people through these choices that they have and when they start to say, am I gonna take chemo? Am I not gonna take chemo? All this stuff. And when you make decisions from a Christ-like perspective, when you make a decision knowing that your home is to be with him and once you're at home, you, have, you don't wanna go back. 
That's the great joy that we have when people die around us too. Those who are Christians, they don't want to come back. Some people say, I wish I, I know they want. No, they, they're with Christ. They don't want to come. Nobody wants to come back from heaven. And so I'm so thankful that Jesus has given my friend this great faith. And I encouraged him on how to continue to profess Christ, to be a light to others as he continues to suffer. And I pray that the Lord will work through him and his wife, who has continued to be so faithful in how she's been nursing her husband and ministering to him and sharing what he truly needs, the hope of the gospel, as they continue to endure in this season. God has given them their hope. Not that their illness will be taken away, that they pray such a miracle would happen and the Lord could, um, but now they found their hope in God and God alone in Christ through Christ, and he gives them their hope. In Romans 5, 5, we continue to read, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can endure to the very end without fear of humiliation on the judgment day because God has given us Christ. He's given us our faith. He is our shepherd and we hear his voice. We have received the love of God and his Holy Spirit poured his love into our hearts when he saved us. I love the old adage, and people will say this sometimes, that um, if my faith was up to me, I would have lost it years ago. And why do people say that? They say it because they know their faith isn't up to them. Their faith has been given to them as a free gift from God, right? And it's because of his faithfulness and as to why we continue to persevere and endure and have the strength to press on. Christ's work on the cross will and does carry us through all things. The penalty for our sin that came as a result of sinning against our holy and perfect sinless God was paid for by Jesus. And on the day of judgment, the Father will count our debt paid by Jesus. And he will say that our debt paid has been paid in full by his son, Jesus. The hope you have has been given to you in Christ. This faith that transcends all understanding will not only be used to, not to, will not be used to shame us, but because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome any trial. We can overcome any suffering and not just overcome, but due to Christ, grow in him, grow in endurance and character and in hope with more peace, rejoicing in every day that he has given us, no matter our circumstance, using each day for his glory and seeing each day as a new day to serve and worship our great King, Jesus Christ. In preaching this sermon this morning, there's so much more that I could share with you on suffering. And if you are a person that is suffering through a season, through a hardship, seek a mature brother or sister, seek a pastor, get some biblical counseling because there's so much to talk about uh, as it pertains and to study and to put your mind upon the things of the Lord instead of the things of our circumstances that will help you continue to foster joy in your heart and maturity in Christ as you walk through your suffering and your hardship. There's one last thought that I want to share with you, kind of a call to action for us all as we are either preparing. I know Pastor Dave Mobley used to say that you're either preparing, you're either in a storm or you're being prepared for a storm, right? That's just the life of a Christian. It's the ebb and flow of living life uh, in this suffering and these hardships that the Lord brings us as we continue to focus on him with the joy for our joy. Pastor um, uh, Dave um, Beloit Road, Pastor Dave, uh, what's his name? 
can't remember it. The Lloyd Road Church pastor, one of the pastors. Uh, one of the pastors over there, I can't, Danny Francis, Pastor Danny Francis. He did one of the roundtables that we did for biblical counseling one time that we do every month. If you guys are interested, we have it at your church sometimes. We'd love to have you join us. Um, but he shared a teaching on suffering and how do we suffer well. And one thing he shared with me that just kind of stuck with me, um, I'm going to close with a passage out of Revelation here, but he shared with me is that realized Christian you only have this one life to suffer well for Christ. We only have this one opportunity to suffer well for the Lord. Because why? We know what's to come. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain when we're glorified with him, right? There'll be no more hardship, no more sin, no more conflict, no more division, because we're going to be with the great unifier. We're going to be with our great love, Christ, and there'll be no more suffering. So don't waste this life. Suffer well, suffer with joy in Christ. And so let's close with this in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, where it talks about the new heaven and new earth and the hope that we have as we live as Christians that look heavenward in the hope that we have in Christ to be with him for eternity. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So don't waste the opportunity, Christian. Don't waste the opportunity to suffer well in this life. Use this life. You only have one life to give to the Lord. Suffer well. Look to Christ. Trust that his loving hand is on you and be certain that it is steady and sure and that he is with you in your suffering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you for giving us this truth of your gospel. Help the gospel and the love that you have for us and who you are as the person of God, Lord God. Continue to permeate our minds and that our minds press down deeply into our hearts in such a way that we believe these truths and we obey them with how we think and how we act. Help us know that you are with us through all times, that your spirit continues to lead us and guide us and strengthen us. And that spirit is not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit that leads us to persevere and grow in endurance and character in the Lord and that we image you well in this life as our only life to give for you. Help us in our suffering, look to Christ as our greatest joy. And as we have afflictions and pains, help us continue to turn to you as our greatest lover. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.